Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1408, with guest Stephanie Locke. Recorded Wednesday, January 18th, 2017. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still here. We'll be here all week. <laughs> We're recording 14 shows at NDC. Yep. In three yep. days flat. And this is another one of those. So, uh, you know, we do this every year. We do it in Oslo and we, we do. do it in London and we always get a lot of great shows. Well, and normally five shows a day is too many, but that's when we're remote. Yeah. It's a lot more focusing to try and you know envision yeah. everything you only but we can all sit together and see each other yeah it's, it's easier yeah, it's you know easy. and we can do more shows but it's yeah. so, so it's a lot but that you know we get a couple weeks off now and as soon as i landed i heard this news story that i'm going to talk about in better know framework right now and it turns out one of our good friends is kind of involved in it oh yeah yeah roll well, the music i'll tell you about it all right dude what do you got I just went looking for news yep. and to see if there was anything interesting that was happening. And turns out, over 28,000 weak MongoDB databases are currently being held ransom by hackers. Wow. And I thought, that is a great story. That is really something. For Better Know Framework. And, okay, so this is an article from January 10th, and this happened back in January. It's now, this show comes out February 1st. So the number will be larger. The I number imagine. will be much larger. Yeah. Yeah. So check this out. Tens of thousands of misconfigured online databases have been hijacked and are being held for ransom by hackers, each demanding Bitcoin payments for the data to be fully restored. According to two security researchers, Victor Gevers and Niall Merrigan. Ah, our friend Niall Merrigan. Our friend Niall Merrigan, who we were hanging out with last night, yep. who comes by the booth to talk to us. The scheme has compromised at least 28,000 databases hosted on an open source platform called MongoDB. In each instance, the hackers are demanding between 0.2 bitcoins and 1 bitcoin, which is up to 752 pounds in ransom. And uh, I could go on and on about what, what happened, but um, it, it seems they, they're not stopping at uh, MongoDB. Like mm -hmm. This is something that is now spreading to other platforms and well, it turns out that uh you, well you you read more about it you tell us well clearly what's happened is that a group of of skilled hackers have they found an exploit to mongo it discovered that they weren't particularly well protected and are able to invoke encryption on it and and do the ransoming 
but it has sort of turned that group of people to start looking at this attack surface. You know, typically yeah. you're, you're, you're up until now we've been a sort of attack, been attacked from the front door, the front of an application. Right now they're doing a backdoor attack. Really, they're going after the data store directly. Yeah. Right, and so. Uh, in reality, the lack of diligence around these data stores has meant that they are relatively vulnerable. Yeah. And so other data stores are now yeah, seeming to be exploited as well. Yeah. So we're seeing Elasticsearch, we're seeing React, we're, we're seeing... And, and Elasticsearch, you said they were taking it down. Uh, that was... Niall was talking about that last night. Yeah, that, oh, that, yeah. that's right. Niall was saying that. But in, in theory, Elasticsearch is meant as in a, a search optimization library, right? Storing... Yeah, people use it as things. a data store. It's the only copies yeah. of things. And, yeah. and so that's kind of disturbing as well. Like, there's going to be consequences to all these things. Mm. Uh, the other issue, of course, is this is happening so quickly. Databases are so exploited that mm. Niall was talking about the same database being repeatedly encrypted by different competing organizations right. all trying to blackmail them. Yeah, that's they're, right. They're clubbing each other. That's right. And so, you know, this this is going to turn into a real comedy here pretty soon. Well, it sort of speaks to, if you got a MongoDB database, it's, it's probably worth putting a few cycles into making sure you've secured it properly. Well, yeah, and had backups and things like that. That, that would help, too. something that a lot of MongoDB owners do But this do. is not like it's a zero-day vulnerability. This is the security was never configured correctly in the first place right. on the database. Right. And so uh, it's not an exploit you're waiting for Mongo to fix so much as it is have you implemented the security. And I just want to say all my uh, SQL Azure databases are just fine. Thank, <laughs> thank you very much. One, one of the advantages of being always besieged like Microsoft technology has been because yeah. of its popularity is that it's pretty robust these days. They tighten it up. They've yeah. had to. They wouldn't have had a choice. And I hope those words don't come back to bite me someday because, yep. you know, you the gods of vengeance and in irony have a way of smacking yeah. you down that way. Oh, Mr. Franklin, those <laughs> things you say. <laughs> it was so funny. Anyway, great find. And yeah, yeah. Uh, fun to have a drink with Niall and just talk about the sheer chaos that's going on here. You know what? Maybe we ought to, while we're here... Do you either do a show with Niall and stick it in the schedule somewhere or just do a bonus show, like yeah, do a Friday maybe show. Maybe I'll do a run as with him and we can reference it because it is more of a That's technical a great conversation yeah. around the security elements in these things. Yeah, I'll do it that way. All right. All right. Good. Good one, man. All right. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grab your comment off of show 1191, the show we did back in September 2015 with Ike Ellis. We were talking about continuous integration around SQL Server, and that had a big conversation about this being able to update databases as well and, and and make them part of sort of a DevOps cycle or a production cycle. Yeah. And I think a conversation around data and Docker talks hugely about separation of data, how we do updating. It's it's very challenging. And that that was a really fun talk. You know, this is not a small mm. you everybody's pretty good comfortable, comfortable with uh, continuous integration mm. if you're just deploying software. But oh databases, look out. <laughs> and uh Lockley Markley had this great comment. I found this show to be very interesting because I know this is a huge area that developers hardly ever talk about. We talk about one-click deployment and unit testing, continuous integration. But when you ask the question, so <laughs> how do you manage your database? Mm. Suddenly, you get a bunch of stare-at-the-floor responses. <laughs> Everybody's shoes get very interesting. <laughs> However, while there are a lot of great tools that are mentioned on the show, I feel the problem is still as hard as it ever was, and none of the tools do it a great job at making it any easier. In an ideal world, all the developers would have their own database, which eh, yeah. often they do, right? They These do, days, yeah. it's pretty easy to stand up a local instance of things. Changes to the database would be stored in source control alongside with the code. Okay, that doesn't happen. Mm. Uh, these changes need to be runnable, repeatable, mergeable, and heaven's forbid, branchable. Did anybody ever talk about that? No, I don't think so. Yeah. No. In order to accomplish this, we need a mountain of SQL scripting knowledge or very good tools for generating yeah. scripts. 
Uh, PowerShell scripting knowledge and a whole heap of tools to do multiple database backups and restores is needed. Managing reference data is difficult and manages and changes to live data even more difficult. Uh, I think you're thinking about this a little too linearly, uh, Lachlan. I mean, in the end, the database is a central point of focus. So while I want to have developers able to work independently and then introduce changes, you don't have to sort of have them as massive sets of branches. You can look at them more collectively. And I do feel like, and certainly I think Stephanie will, will, will probably get into this at some point, the database update side of a continuous integration kind of happens at a different time than the rest of the application. Mm. You need a staging change ahead of a deployment yeah. that sort of sets up to be able to tolerate the new data structures the new version needs while still having the sort of support for the old version in place. Then the app rolls out as part of the integration process. Yeah. And then if you're smart, there's sort of a cleanup phase where it's like, okay, we're now committed to this version. We can pull off the columns that are no longer necessary, set our database into, now we're committed to that new version yeah. and we're good. And if you automate that well, you know, that can happen every day if you want. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds plain to me. I hope so. Uh, we'll talk about this more. This is not a small problem, and I still don't think it's well solved. Mm. So, Lachlan, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We use them as poker chips. <laughs> and let's introduce our guest. Speaking of data and Docker, Stephanie Locke is living the dream as a data scientist and spends her days engineering data solutions that protect people's livelihoods. When she's not doing funky stuff during the day, you can probably find her blogging, coding, or presenting at a community event. She runs three user groups in Cardiff, organizes SQL Relay nationally, and is developing Saturdays, that's S-A-T, capital R, days globally. Steph's ongoing, and some would say unholy, work combining Microsoft products and open source programs has seen her awarded with the Microsoft Data Platform MVP Award. Welcome to .NET Rocks, Steph. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. Uh, it's very impressive, but you're doing seven of these in a day. Uh, oh, five. Only five. five. Only oh, five. five. I wouldn't okay. want to go too far. Okay. I mean, let's not get crazy now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and uh, congratulations on being number five. So if we uh, revert to the fart joke or anything like that, though it's not just you, it's really No, nice. we, we get a little punchy on the yeah. first show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not a simple topic because yeah. uh, Docker, you know, we're, I think in the, in the Microsoft development world, we're just getting our head around yeah. Uh, containers mm -hmm. and and from us when you're looking at software, oh, that's fine, right? The idea that I never update anything, that I just build a new a new instance, a new template for this for this uh, uh, Docker container, and then light it up. Totally get it. Scared to death when you talk that way about my database. Like that's crazy talk. Mm. Yeah, it's um, so with the talk that I did earlier, I showed people first of all how to separate out the data files from the Docker container. Right, I think right. that's one of the most important that's first key. steps. <laughs> it's good. Because then you can kill the container and do mm. all the patching and then just reattach it to the same database. Yeah. So what's in the, the in the container then? The the database service? Yes. Okay. So just basically the daemon, the, the thin veneer right. over all the files, all right. the bits that you know the that allow you to connect to the data. Yeah. Um, and, and then when, and so when you're talking about that, you're not necessarily talking about SQL Server? Uh, yeah, you can do it with SQL sure. Server, MySQL. So in my demo, I demo MySQL. But you can do it with even SQLite. I mean, yeah. in the end, 
Anything even for full bore enterprise SQL server, mm-hmm. a database is actually a set of MDF files that yeah. live in a file store somewhere. Well, let's say any database has got to be a file unless yeah. it's an in-memory database. In that case, it's called a cache. Yeah. yeah. It's not really a database <laughs> at all. Now, is it? Yeah. But so, the, I mean, all, every time that a database wants to write to a disk, you want to manifest that as a resource that's outside of the container and reliable. Yeah. Is that a way to put it? Yeah, okay. definitely. So uh, I demo and do it with um, Azure File Storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then it's basically unlimited. Mm-hmm. You can mount it with Samba or mount mm. it to Windows, and you can just use it like any other drive. Yeah. So from uh, attaching even to a virtual machine, Azure File Storage makes a lot of sense for me because I can have unlimited storage without having to worry about doing all that pesky disk business. Sure. And, <laughs> and writing lots of PowerShell code to kind of attach new disks, format them, and do all that stuff. Right. And instead, I can just pay for the cores and the, the RAM I need mm-hmm. and not have to worry. And I so. guess if you have a, a Docker container that's got a database engine in it, you're probably going to need a lot of RAM. Yeah. Yeah, because you want to be keeping a lot of that stuff mm. in a cache. Yeah, it's still doing its thing as it always has. Yeah. Um, what about backup for that? Well, that's data why store? I use Azure File Storage. Right. From a DR perspective, sticking the data in Azure File Storage, mm. of course, means that all the Azure, you can do the geo redundant storage right. and stuff. So you can have whatever DR situation yeah. that you need to prepare against done by Microsoft. Mm. But completely separate from the database engine itself. Yeah. So you can then kill a container and just mm-hmm. reattach to the same files. Yeah. Which and is... you can have multiple containers attached to those files too or no? lock. Yeah. Because, of course, you need to be able to write to the files. So you only want so one? You only want one, which right. means that from that perspective, uh, Docker... You kind of have one container per set of database files. Got it. So you can either have a monolithic Docker DB, at which point you start kind of questioning what's the point. Mm. Right. Um, so it's not very, it's not a very good solution for one big platform. But especially if you're um, kind of software as a service, multi-tenant, mm. then actually it can become really effective because sure. you just have one Docker container and one set of files. Mm per customer and then you can do all the file permissions over the files to yeah. mean they're not accessible from outside that container so mm-hmm. they're all nicely protected um, and then you get no locking yeah. but of course then you can't necessarily uh, cross database sure. query all not of very those easily. very yeah. easily but if you're multi-tenant how often you probably you not that? want to do that anyway. Yeah. Unless you're talking well, about the administration on the back end yeah. for your service charges right. and all that. Or things like how many users are people using across the thing? What, uh, I've been doing a lot of work for a security company. How many people hit Google each day? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You probably, you're, what happens when you have a customer who actually has a lot of users? Yeah. And I mean, in theory, and I'm, I'm going to tend to SQL Server just because I know my mm-hmm. way around it. Like SQL Server does have clustering options and things like that. But you, I don't know that that would work with containers. You know, the, the, the clustering rules for SQL Server are pretty strict on the particular versions of, of Windows and how the mm-hmm. clusters are set up and how data is shared. Mm-hmm. I don't know that inserting a container mm-hmm. into that equation would be a good thing. Yeah, I kind of think if you're at the sort of uh, single database size mm-hmm. where 
you have a dedicated DBA or many DBAs, right. then possibly that monolithic DB it might be the right solution. Sure. It might be uh, running on a cluster yeah. too, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that cluster could live below the level of your files. And you just have somebody who has the experience with that. I yeah. kind of see... If you get to that point, yeah. you've got the people and the in, and you're doing it a different way. You know, yeah. There are prescribed practices for large-scale SQL Server implementations that, mm. while they don't involve Docker, are perfectly redundant and safe and priced accordingly. Yeah. Um, and I think like Stack Overflow is just kind of the the poster child sure, of, sure. of this. Of you know they they could shard their database and things and but it runs beautifully mm-hmm. on a big SQL Server. Not even that big a SQL no, Server no. really. Mm-hmm. And they do that because it doesn't split up nicely into yeah. smaller databases. It's not naturally granular. Yeah, mm. and. They have an effective team who can do performance tuning yeah. and mm. worry about the hardware. Mm. The I see Docker as where you don't have DBAs, right? Or where your data needs are still under consideration, right? It's just yeah. a, a yeah. younger app that hasn't gotten as big as yeah. it possibly could get. You know, they, you do want a path forward, and. And I don't know that SQL Server would be my first choice in many of those scenarios. It might make more sense to be in a MySQL situation or a Postgres situation or something Even like that. SQLite. <laughs> like yeah. SQLite. It depends yeah, right. at the beginning. Sure. <laughs> but sure. I mean, just why would you put a database in a Docker container in the first place? So for me, um, it would be from that multi tenant environment. Right. If I want almost like a little entier architecture. For every customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and where, something totally automatable. So yeah. as the customer yeah. lights up, the instance lights up for the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, because I have my own little entier architectures for each one, they can all be managed sure. individually. You can do rollouts right. of uh, both your code and your database code. Yep, then. at the same time. Um, yeah. So you get that. You get more complexity than a single database, but you also get lower risk mm-hmm. issues. Um, if one customer gets breached, then none of your other customers necessarily yep. get breached because right. you don't do password reuse. Password right. reuse is bad. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you put the ACLs and stuff around it. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a, a nice solution, especially when you want to then give basically a deployment to customers on site because right. your Docker container little entier infrastructure can then, can then work on their infrastructure. It can run anywhere. Yeah. It can go in. So that's quite good from where you might want to move your Docker architectures around mm-hmm. and might want to make changes to them. If I had my application and I still wanted to be able to do things like cross database queries right. and stuff then I would actually go the database as a service route um, I would use something like SQL DB right. on Azure and use the elastic database aspect right. and have a central connection point that all my apps work with and just connects to the different databases yeah so they can behind, do that because yeah. then I can still scale them but then I no longer have to worry about 
redundancy of data. I've got point in time restores. I've got all the auditing. I've got a wealth of certifications at my hands mm. that Microsoft provide in terms of trust. Um, so from a, a dev who doesn't necessarily want to do a lot of work with databases, that's kind of how I sure. feel. Yeah. Um, I'm, and, I'm, and I got to say, like, I'm concerned about backing up on the back end. You know, my, my experience with databases, is you really want to use the database backup tools because they worry about transactional consistency. Sure. Where they're just making copies of the database files. Yeah. Yes, it's a backup. It'll and you'll lock probably, the database while you're well, doing You're going to definitely, you're probably going to down the Docker instance yeah. so that you can make a clean copy of the mm -hmm. database. But it may or may not be in a perfectly consistent state either. That being said, most databases, when they get reattached to that, those files are going to go, oh, this thing needs some cleanup and recover. Uh, uh, but it still needs some validation. Another way to do that is we're replication, though, right? Isn't yeah, there's another a, kind of backup strategy. Because that's yeah. sort of, you know, you just keep it keep it up to date all the time, yeah. and then you've got it on another place. You're running, are you mirroring, there's a bunch of, of ways mm, to yeah. run a multiple copies and just use two different storage shares. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You're not yeah. worried about losing data here. Does it actually make sense to do that? But th yeah. those options exist. Well, with MongoDB, people were worried, well, should have been worried about losing data. It's just yeah. that now both copies are going to be encrypted. Right, right yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess you're right. If if one uh, if one's Exploded. held for ransom, the other one probably is too. Yeah, I mean, then now you get into the Unless challenge. Unless it's offline. Yeah, the real and now thing. You're back you, to the first problem, which yeah. is how do you? Yeah, how do you get back? What you really want to be able to do, if you're going to dive deeply into backup strategies, I'm wearing my IT hat today, yeah, aren't of I? Course. Is you're taking routine copies of your database and maintaining multiple copies. So you're doing yeah. like a, a grandparent-parent-child rotation. Mm. So I have a copy of the database from the end of each workday for the current week. Yeah. Mm. And then I take, I keep one copy per week for the current month. Yep. And then a copy per month for the current quarter and yeah. an annual copy. Yeah. And so yeah. what does that give me when the ransomers come along? Right. Yeah. It knocked it down for the day, and we've probably lost a day's worth of work. But yesterday's copy before the encryption yeah. is still untouched. Right. So I can, you know, give them an obscene gesture, mm -hmm. secure the thing properly, stand up a year, the previous day's one, and mm -hmm. go. If we didn't notice right away, and I'm not sure how that would happen, maybe we at least have one a week old, and worst case, a month old. Yeah. Right. And so I've definitely, you know, dealt with organizations in recovery where we ended up going to an older backup. But at least we didn't have to start from zero. Right. Mm. So you have some kind of backup in different states. Because often, I mean, a ransomware thing is kind of nice because it's all or nothing. You know you were hit. Right. You know what's really evil? Accidentally dropped a minor table. Yeah. We dropped this yeah. table that's some kind of audit table that only gets referenced once a quarter. It doesn't make it, it less important. Yeah. And two months later, holy cow, that thing is gone. What do we do? When did it go? Like, what happened? Yeah. And the fact that you have those longer rotation backups means you can go back to something mm -hmm. and, and fetch that one table out and carry it forward and try and regenerate the data that's missing from mm -hmm. that, but not the whole thing. You spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, I never want to lose data. No, mm -hmm. and I think it's, you know, and there's downtime and there's data loss. Yeah. Two different things. Yeah. Um, and that is a lot of the reason why when I'm building uh, applications and things, I want to put the responsibility as far away from me as possible <laughs> for the infrastructure and, right. and sure. things. Because that's really hard stuff. Well, it and it's what the cloud was you for, know, right? Coding is Googling. Yeah. <laughs> and coming up with <laughs> an <Stack> overflow. <laughs> yeah. Cutting and pasting. You, you know, it, 
understanding how raid works and what happens if you lose oh, power me. in this way yeah. and things. That's hard stuff. You can't really... You need to know a lot. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's an ongoing maintenance requirement. Yeah. I never, ever, ever, ever want to babysit another raid array. No. Ever. Yeah. It's a constant thing. Yep. So that, that's why I think with Docker... Stick the data on something like Azure File Storage. Um, something cloudy. Something mm. cloudy. And then if you want databases with even less management overhead, mm. go with something like the SQL DB. Because mm -hmm. it's not only got easy point-in-time restores within 30 days, they now do longer-term backups yep. as well. Nice. So you can protect, protect against the files getting lost. Mm. And they have replication. Mm -hmm. And I've done a failover in that to another data center because I realized I created it in the wrong region and my costs were ballooning. Right. Oh. Um, and it was easy. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it went smoothly. They handled, you know, it just, it all just worked. That's mm. nice. So, uh, from a developer perspective, why worry about stuff that you would need to hire a DBA for yeah. mm. when you can kind of pay for the problem to go away. It's right. not really throwing hardware yeah. at the problem anymore. I see the easy solution as mm. being it's throw cloud at the problem. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of yeah. it's just somebody else's hardware. Yeah. Um, one of the things I like about that approach, too, is you don't have to make all the decisions up front, mm. right? That I can go with this knowing there's room to grow and ways to be to continue to perform if we go to geo uh, distribution so it can be faster and more locales mm. and we can have multiple copies like you don't have to figure all that out in advance mm. if you're going mm. into those services that's just going to happen for you yeah. when you need it yeah and uh, we had an interesting discussion with um, towards the end of my talk where a guy has um, a many terabyte monolithic database right a beast. Yeah. And they've been um, trying to get it. They, they've been running dev versions in Docker. Okay. And their little dev versions are actually running out of space. A Docker container image can be 10 gig maximum. Right. So even their dev instances can't be spun up with keeping the data in the container. <laughs> so they have to move towards, to, external to an external storage solution. Mm -hmm. But he was talking about they've been considering trying to move to the cloud and everything and to be honest in a multi-terabyte single database that's very pricey yeah it's very pricey you, if you already have it mm. on site then the tco might be in your favor to stay to on stay site where are, yeah. mm. you know it's docker and the cloud isn't for every solution well I'm, and i'm going to presume it's sql server but an enterprise class licensed SQL Server is expensive. Like that's not small. That you can buy a yeah. lot of SQL Azure for the price of a on-prem license. You can, mm -hmm. but the maximum you can go to, I think, is a terabyte. Right. So single now you're database. sharding across multiple instances. Yeah. And if your database doesn't want to go that way, yeah. Mm. Um, now you're paying for a lot of code to be written to cover up the fact that you've distributed your yeah. database. Mm. And it could work out as you know, seventy grand on a new server with uh, software assurance. Right. Mm. That that's probably cheaper than the dev costs of sharding your database. Right. Yeah. Well, and you're also so. trading a known cost for an unknown cost. Yeah. You know, you can just throw the if you put seventy thousand into a piece of hardware with a with a with software assurance and a license and so forth, you're going to get that. Yeah. You can put 70,000 into a group of developers and get very little. Get you know. some pizza eaten. Yes, yes. you can. <laughs> that, that absolutely can happen. Yeah. So I, I think it's um, 
Docker with databases is a very good solution for things that decompose to the customer level right. and don't necessarily have vast amounts of data. Mm-hmm. You know, transactional databases, you could probably quite comfortably kind of do it up to two terabytes maybe with the Azure file storage, right. but you can't easily do that per customer mm. on database as a service. Right. Yeah. Then it becomes a question of, well, maybe a database solution, a relational database solution isn't right. Could you use Azure Table Storage? Sure. Yeah. You know, because I've right. been using that and I've chucked more than four billion rows in it and it's not even hit the sides. Yeah. Nice. You uh. know, it's a nice solution for a specific type of problem. Right. Your data has to fit quite well with yeah. the model. Well, it's a very different way to store data, which means you're, yeah. you're making substantial changes to yeah. your application. And it kind of all depends on the quality of how you've written the app, how your data's structured, you know, the, how mature your ops team is in yeah. automation, mm-hmm. how mature your dev team is in ops automation. Um, it's a classic d- DBAs. It yeah. depends. Right. That's correct. But- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to announce, sad to say, that my joke database has been held ransom. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't pay. Now the question is, do we really care? <laughs> Does anybody Who really noticed? care? Is it I just yeah, is it actually funnier when it's encrypted or not as funny when it's encrypted? <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. Okay, who you are now. That's funny right there. <laughs> oh, it's actually time to give away an Infragistics Ultimate to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Ignite UI. Ignite UI is a complete HTML and JavaScript toolkit to build modern browser experiences on any device, desktop, tablet, or phone. Designed for the enterprise, you'll create high-performance, touch-first, responsive apps with Angular JS directives, bootstrap support, and Microsoft MVC server-side widgets. More at igniteui.netrocks.com. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Thomas Lombardi. Congratulations, Thomas. Yes. I'll clap for you, sir. I'll clap for Thomas. Thomas just won the Infragistics Ultimate, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Infragistics. And if you don't know what we just did, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. Mm -hmm. All right, Steph, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? So I actually found this really tough. Mm. Um, My main aim would be going wireless. So just ditching dongles and things so being able to connect to uh monitors wirelessly so uh, you could you can get now microsoft and, yeah, yeah and things and just hmm. cutting out complexity of yeah. drivers and things on machines can you uh, do that for five thousand dollars yeah so microsoft is selling some kits for standard monitors yeah I they're think, only a few hundred dollars now. they're not, really? they're not yeah. that, that, that expensive i just you know you talk about cutting out complexity wires are very reliable True. Why is uh, uh, that is true, but we're at 
a point where we have such a silly amount of dongles yes in yeah. life um so many different adapters it's just because the darn max and your mm. lack of ports yeah that's yeah. The, that's the crazy thing but i'm with yeah. you it, 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 but it's a, that's a lot of dongles to eliminate like yep. it, yes it's gonna be hard to spend that much money but it'd be fun to try it'd be fun to try mm. yeah yep i do like um I like the idea of a projector on the on the ceiling, and you didn't have to string a wire down for it and stuff. That it just sort of works. Mm -hmm. You know, the other direction to go in because almost the projector is obsolete. Is have you ever seen a Surface Hub? Yeah. Oh yeah. I have. They're, they're yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. Unfortunately, when I whenever I've seen a Surface Hub, it's been crashed. Nice. Oh. It's been broken, and they're quite a bit more than five thousand. dollars A little too. bit more expensive. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's yeah. fun. They're very interesting. The thing about it is they're so big, you have to kind of stand up to use it. And yeah. so for, I mean, I wouldn't want to write code on it. Mm -hmm. But uh, for certain things, and, the, you know, the, what they use it for in their demos is collaboration yeah. and communication. And well, that makes a whole lot of sense. And they always show off the 85-inch, the really big one, which is like $25,000. But there's a smaller one. There's a 55 oh, okay. It's like nine thousand dollars. Yeah, that's still as big as my whiteboard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's really kind of meant for that, and it's yeah. really sort of supposed to replace the projector. But right. a lot of the trickery in that thing, when you spend some time with it, it's a, it's about being able to take what's on your machine mm -hmm. and put and it up there, it. sort of painlessly. Yeah. yeah. So it's not so much that you're projecting, but that you have this other computer yeah. available to you that is access to your data. Mm. You know, the sort of classic demo that, it, that I was shown was they took a Windows phone, for better or worse, yeah. that had a PowerPoint on it and sort of flick the PowerPoint <laughs> onto the Surface Hub. Yeah. And then Did I it make a noise? Did it go yeah, something, something like that? that. <laughs> it's like, ew. <laughs> I gotta wipe that PowerPoint off. And yeah. then they and absolutely they manipulated the PowerPoint yeah. slide and so forth visually. Yeah. And and then there was a collaborator on a different Surface Hub in a different room mm. that was able to see what they were doing and work on it at the same time. At one point, he, he's editing one slide with the other one's editing, the other person's editing another slide. And then they're all done, was able to put it back on the phone. Yeah. Mm. I just think. That's cool. That level of convenience yeah. is awesome. I mean, I have it a little bit. I don't often do PowerPoints because I do reveal JS slides. Which is cool. Yeah. 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 And I make them in R, so all I ever have to do is Markdown. <laughs> um, oh, that's but so geeky. <laughs> I love it. I just go, just got totally geeked <laughs> out. Make my slides with R. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. great, and they, they, uh, they uh, I have continuous integration and deployment with them. Oh, so wow. it goes. Uh, it gets so, worse. So, so it all goes Ooh. through. Um, all gets committed to GitHub. Travis CI tests everything can be built, and then deploys them to GitHub Pages. And I got a custom domain over it. So I all, love it. So everything that just is so updates. awesome. Bravo! Um, it's a giant pile. And it's of just geeky. a little bit of CSS. But the thing I was. Uh, had most fun playing with recently with uh, PowerPoint is Office Remote. Yeah. So you can manage uh, from your Android, presumably iPad um, and Windows phone. You can manage your presentations and everything from your phone. Nice. And that was cool because previously I'd had to spend something like a five pounds mm. to be able to get some third party solution to do yeah, it that's cool and it's good because you know you get to see your notes and everything and a timer and that is convenience yeah that this I, right I on happily your phone. pay for yeah no, i love it uh, yeah. otherwise i have to bring my husband around as my roadie right because yeah. technology computers are hard they are <laughs> and it does you do your timing for you too it's just like you got 10 minutes yeah. left yeah, yeah. Well, computers are yeah. especially hard when they fall on your head yeah, you know, that. that they're, mm. they're 
Uh, do you do, do you do the Docker for Windows thing, or are you just the Linux incarnation? Uh, I use the um, Docker machine at the moment, which does the uh, which creates a VirtualBox VM under right. the hood. Mainly because I wasn't yet willing to risk breaking my machine irrevocably, mm-hmm. uh, because I do that quite often. Yeah. <laughs> so I prefer to keep things on VM and the cloud and stuff, just because that way, if I break it, I can trash it and rebuild it but with this a script. Is, the whole thing about containers, like I wonder if we're only a couple of years away from just operating software and containers on our desktop on a routine yeah, basis. I, it's I safe, think we're going there, yeah. right? We sort of everything now has a manifest. I, yeah. If there's one thing I would stick into a container that actually keep everybody's computers healthier, it'd be the browser. How about every tab of the browser? Yeah, in, a yeah. in its container. own little container, yeah. so it just can't get out. Yeah, right. I mean, admittedly, we're pretty much driven off the, the add-in and so forth. Malware's not getting in near as fast. Yeah, but I mean, if it was so self-contained, we could actually probably put a few of those plugins back in yeah. that you like to use, like your password manager. Yeah, well, I got we got that back. But. Yeah, Edge is doing that now. If I recall, I recall reading something about how they're implementing something like tab-level encapsulation, encapsulation? Yeah. for the security. And, and they mean, did bring in some yeah. plugins, like LastPass yeah. and stuff mm. is now running in Edge. Mm. So they're, yeah. they're sort of there. I don't know that it matters. I still have a tough time living in yeah. Edge. You know, I, it's I still would, Edge. It's but, still Edge, yeah. But, but the but security Chrome, from an enterprise perspective, of, it does make it much more compelling. I, I so. would like a whitelist approach, you know, to plugins. Yep. That would be fine, you know, the, the, the well-known and well-established plugins that go through a vetting process to be able to run. Not you to know, put not too fine of a point on it, but I did a run as on this. You did. So there's an Internet Explorer 11 enterprise mode where you as the administrator can whitelist certain apps that will run in IE 11. And the ones that aren't listed only run in Edge. Wow. And so you have your plugins and stuff installed in this IE 11 instance, but it's controlling exactly what things can be run. Wow. And nice. So, yeah, it's whitelisting. Impressive. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's only, again, it's only the Enterprise Edition. And I don't know why. Because it's one of those things where yeah. a community could get together and just set up a good set of policies for stuff that was safe, and then individuals could take advantage of it as well. Yeah, see, see this is stuff that I want my mother to be able to use. Oh, because, totally. you know, I, I'm constantly scrubbing crap off of her machine. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's not going to run in My Nan version. is now a whiz at reformatting a oh. machine because of how many times <laughs> <laughs> she's gone viruses yeah. and things. But it so. said it was from Microsoft and that I had to run it. Yeah, they were lying. Yeah. This guy called up. Oh, he, yeah. he needed access to the oh, machine. Oh, man. Did that yeah. happen to your mom? No. She did get one who said that she'd won 77 grand or something. Right. And, and all she had to do was send 50 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> to unlock the transaction. I love it. Still. That, I think uh, it's interesting how people are becoming uh, at least a bit more security conscious yes. now mm. that with all these data breaches and yeah. stuff and yeah. it, people are learning to care. I just, yeah, I think we're starting to care. We're just not necessarily fixing it all that well. Yeah. Uh, getting away from sort of the t- typical relational database model, I mean, not, not that we've already thrown MongoDB on the bus today. I think MongoDB threw itself under the bus. <laughs> I, I think it's it not has Mongo- been for a very long time, yeah. <laughs> security-wise. It's always been. Yeah. But ropey. this model seems to be very useful for non-relational stores. That it's just seems pretty straightforward and i and i really appreciate the document stores to just be able to take objects and save them 
right? Mm. I'm, I'm, the more we've talked about this and done different shows around, yeah. it's like the common using the document store as simply an object storage service. Mm. So as soon as the customer said, great, buy, you save those objects and send the customer on their merry way. Thanks mm. very much. And then asynchronously, you pick up those objects, and decompose them into a relational database so that you still have your reporting and all those other services. But I just think that we're we're squirming around making the relational store live in Docker and deal with those things. Mm-hmm. But a MongoDB or any other object store, that just seems a natural fit because it's a fairly thin service yep. against some kind of independent file store. They are just files that can be backed up. Fast. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And they come and go without a lot of pain. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's a bad way to go. No. Um, and it also takes the pain away of schemas. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, that's why people reinvented the document database. That's right. Um, <laughs> it's because schema management is kind of hard. And, so, and, and unnecessary. And, un- and unforgiving, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you don't just change indexes when you've got data in there. You know, no. I've, I've ran into problems where I tried to add an index to a table that I only found out was... Uh, not performing after it had you know a hundred thousand rows in it right, right? because yeah. that's when you find out and then try to add a like a date uh a you know a date type uh index right you, you remember this right mm-hmm. it, it just wouldn't worry time out every time you yep. can't do it yeah i've been uh running one on azure sql and the database had hit uh it had gotten really fragmented mm. and I needed to rebuild it. I stuck a rebuild on. I ran out of transaction log. Oh. I whacked up the database setting to premium. Yeah. And did again. And I ran out of transaction log. Uh-huh. It was a really big table. Wow. Yeah. Like a uh, sort of 100 gigabyte table. Not a so table. now I'm <clears throat> stuck with transferring the data. Yep. Into a new table with a database, and it's grueling and time-consuming, yeah. and that's just because of an, an index and yeah. hardware right. limitations. Mm-hmm. So not having something that is plumbing that you shouldn't have to be yeah. doing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, and I use Document DB um, for things that are documents, yeah. so notifications and alerts and things, and especially because then. You can append audit trails and you can have dynamic schemas. If I'm giving somebody a notification mm. about this thing over here and then one over here, they're not going to contain the same schema. Sure. And they don't need to. It, yeah. So give us some more reasons why we should be interested in DocumentDB. The ability to have caches all around the world is pretty nifty from Mm -hmm. a latency perspective. I've not had to build such a global organization uh, as worth of data like that, but Mm. I can imagine how tough it would be to build a fast app on top uh, without it. And then we've got, um, well, there's the Mongo API. Right. You can run that over DocumentDB. So if you've already written for Mongo, don't and run worried, Mongo. Apparently, has security th- problems. Yeah. Well, so, that's, the, that's the thing. If you're worried about the security Does of Mongo, does DocuDB have better security? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. I would hope that Microsoft. Well, it, it's got a bunch of the certification, trust certifications, and governance bits and pieces. I'd just well. like to pause for a moment and say, like, all of us are thinking in terms of, oh yeah, no, if Microsoft's running it, it'll be more secure. Yeah, yeah. that you couldn't have said that ten years ago. No, not even ten years mm-hmm. ago. Right? It's really interesting that we now are. They've been so diligent. Yeah. 
Mm. That uh, now we're sort of looking, going, yeah, well, if it's in their cloud with their infrastructure, it's safer. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I gotta admit, I I trust it. It's the last. It's the last thing I'd worried about switching to Document DB would be: is this data going to get hacked or is it going to mm. get stolen? Mm. Like, yeah, I'd just not be concerned. But I'm far more worried about the stuff I'm running on prem. But a lot mm. of isn't a lot of the problem with Mongo just sort of the default configuration yes. that people this just is what, tend to go with because they're managing it themselves yeah. and they're yeah. not sysadmins and yeah. they're not security people and, and, and document db is a SaaS product right yeah. so that you they manage they're gonna run stuff. it yeah you've got a you login you just have to come up with a password right not even that no you, you automatically generate keys and you can do key uh do them from key vault oh, and connect that up to your dot net so that oh, right. and things so that you never even know what the password well, there is you, go. you yeah. can do the active directory authentication bit for registering your app so it sounds like for document db you really can't screw it up like you can with Mongo well DB. i imagine you can yeah. if you just gotta try if, if you, if you, you generate a key hard. and stick it in github then the crawler is gonna yeah, get you're, it you're laughing like you've seen this before <laughs> yeah does somebody actually do that there are bots that go through and check repos to find keys to breach databases code, yeah. and stuff because people people accidentally commit config files or not so accidentally commit config files all the time. Yeah. And most people don't oh know Git well enough to do the filter, uh, no, the, 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 the Git filtering to remove those files all the way back from the commit history. Right. Now, those are, that's only an issue for public repos, obviously. Private repos can't be. Yeah. 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 But it does face it. You do not want keys in your source no. code. No, no, no. Right? no. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, we just did that show on Azure Key Vault with yeah. uh, Samed. Yep. I and mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's like, you just don't do this. No. I think yeah. it's got to be part of your continuous integration process that uh, before you check this code in, can we just sweep for it for keys, yeah. please? Because <laughs> people make mistakes. Netflix built a crawler to detect it. So it's open source and available. Oh, nice. So Neat. you can use uh, Netflix's one because they had the issue once. Yeah. So they wrote, a, they wrote a crawler to combat the risk of crawlers. Yeah, that's wow. really interesting. That oh, there interesting. it is. The in, the Edda Instance Janitor Crawler. <laughs> janitor. Of, well, it's all part of the, the Simeon Army, right? That's yeah. where Chaos Monkey lives right. and all those yeah. things. Well, one of their tools is the Janitor Crawler. We go looking for keys. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, an, it's just an interesting, you know, sort of mindset that, and you just want to, it's got to be part of your build process, mm. right? It's just like, hey, you put a key in the code. Naughty you, yes. build broke. Yeah, we you build the, will stay broken. You wear the funny hat yes. and the klaxon will go off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys haven't taken it that far no, yet? No, no. <laughs> we're Canadian. We have the box of shame. You well, will go you... sit for two minutes and feel shame. You're Canadian, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I think one say. of the biggest problems with MongoDB is, of course, it most often is implemented by developers yeah. and like me most developers lack sys admin and infrastructure skills yep. so there's no firewall it's available on port 80 well there's you turn all that stuff off until you get it working and you just never remember to turn so it off so i can't tell yeah. you how many articles i used to read in msdn magazine where the source code was always using the example of username sa and no and password yeah. you know and it, while it's innocuous because it's a sample 
you know, if, if you had a, a new user and a new programmer, they might just assume that's a convention. Sure. And so when it comes to creating... You're cutting and yeah. pasting code. You'll even leave a mark that says, someday we should fix this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ne- next year, change this to guest guest. Nobody will ever get it. Guest <laughs> and password. <laughs> password one. That's secure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh stick an exclamation mark Absolutely. on and you're golden. Yeah. <laughs> right. A little casing. Yeah. How did but, we get so cynical? I don't know. Experience. <laughs> is that what it is? It's actually wisdom in disguise. Wisdom. Is that what we're talking about? No, it's just anger. <laughs> it's yeah. just anger and bitterness. That's, that's all right. it is. It's yeah. just coming out as laughing because that's the only way to deal <laughs> with it. Because we've been through all this pain. Yeah. Uh, I love it. It is very interesting. I was thinking about updating databases when you're dealing with the container model. I mean, it's not that now that you've separated the data files from the database engine itself, if you get a new version of the database, as soon as it touches the files, it's going to upgrade them. If you're doing a schema change, well, I guess you need the database instance up and you call that. And you'll have, you won't have the app up at the same time, so you can do the schema changes without having to do anything special. You could take the app down, yeah. Yeah, because you don't um, want the app to be trying to use something you're modifying yeah. the schema on. So this would be, for me, where things like feature flagging and mm-hmm. stuff come in. And only making additive changes, yes. Uh, so that you can sign an app, you know. Because if if you have stored procs, which everything accesses, then you can have your application connected to the right version of the stored proc. And right. then when you need to change, then you can in app one point one, it can call a different stored proc, right? If need be, with the different version, yeah. Um, and that's where I think projects like Flyway come in. Yeah, yeah. Flyway allows you to do quite nice uh, database migrations. That's a better know framework on one of our shows yeah. this yeah. week. Yeah. Um, Flyway by BoxFuse. Yeah. Hmm. And especially if you split the database up so that you have like one small database per customer, mm. then that's where you can do rolling migrations. So only one customer is ever down at a time, and they're down for a much smaller amount of time if you need to do something that locks a table right uh, you make a backup or something yeah. you're not a fan of, of changing the app to say sorry our database is down come back in 10 yeah. minutes you're not a fan of that i would rather not yeah. um and especially because i never want to make cha- I, I never want to be on call yeah <laughs> I, well, i'm very lazy uh uh-huh. so like as if long you as the got- audience is only two minutes then you just wait till the fourth ring before you answer <laughs> that's right and you're By like that yeah. tech like, support but- have you pressed refresh oh it's working <laughs> yeah. yeah that's good yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's the thing if you have everybody with a separate database yep. and you've got your customers in the u.s yeah. the eu and australia you can figure then, it out when yeah you do it. Y- yeah you can do a rolling upgrade progressively yeah. throughout the day at everybody's downtime. Right. Not Four at their slowest yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. But you can't do with a big database. No, no. It is, it, you do have distinct advantages of being granular there, and mm. you can move it up bit by bit. And, and, you know, not to be too cynical, but it's like you, you can do those initial rollouts with the least important customers just to see, you know, let's roll yeah. those out and wait 24 hours and see if yeah. they scream. <laughs> if they don't scream, it's okay. Well, we can start going to some more customers. <laughs> Been there. Yeah. You know, at Strange Loop, right, we were making an appliance for making websites go faster. We had customers that we gave special deals to if they would beta test for us with mm. new features. Mm. And so when we were ready to, re- we, we tested a feature pretty thoroughly, but no substitute for contact with the enemy, right? Mm. Mm. And so we pushed that new feature to those guys and maybe wait a week 
yeah. study the logs. How do we feel about this? Okay, well now this finally you have that feature hit baseline and go to all devices was you know a real threshold. Yeah, it's just you know we're in this sort of continuous integration mode now where that can be going on every few days. It's just a nice feeling to come to work in the morning and all you know all the logs don't have the red marks on yes. them. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's like oh. Yeah. I can finally sleep at night. Yeah, I'm not on fire. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, quite surprised because one of the types of data that you should, of course, be persisting is your telemetry right. data towards your application. And I asked people who have who has telemetry from their apps, and less than half less than half of people mm. put their hands and up in my so session. And there's so many products and it's so easy yeah. to do now. It's just, and there's no excuse. I, I it's the you know, I like the term telemetry. Is instrumentation yeah. better known? Or it's the same thing. Logging. Logging, you, Even yeah. just logs. Yeah. Are you getting logs out of your application yeah. that tell you even when somebody's 404ing? Right. Well, yeah. they probably you know, are. They're just not looking yeah. at them, right? Yeah. And, and that's the bigger question is, so when do you look at this telemetry? Like, what, when is it evaluated? And I think you can't do things like rolling schema migrations or even have a multi-tenant situation mm. where every customer has a database without some sort of telemetry and dashboard yeah. over the top of it. Right. Because you can't look at everybody and you don't even know who everybody is. Yes. It's not like one big database where you can you can yeah. just see the flashing lights yeah. on the server. Everything's going on. Right. Uh, you know, you've you got to... You gotta be smart about it. Yeah, and be able to instrument all yeah. of that. So what's next for you? I'm at the end of the month, I'm launching my consultancy. Oh uh, right. I'm going solo. Um, so it's gonna be helping people get better with data, primarily around data science. Yeah. So looking at how mature their platform is in terms of data, helping them out on their first data science projects, building the internal capability. Mm. And everything. Uh, so. And if folks want to hire you, where can they find you? It's a lock.com. It's a lock. I love it. L O C K E. That's yep. your last name. Steph Lock. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got